This is Dore Alalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 165. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the Seven Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cash Flow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good people let me tell you who this episode is for this episode is for those of you who have chosen to use real estate as your vehicle the vehicle that's going to allow you to create passive wealth for yourself and your family. And although you don't have all the pieces straight, you don't know exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how long it's going to take, you've made that decision. Sure, there are still excuses that pop up every now and again, like, where's the money going to come from? Where's the experience going to come from? I don't have the time. The list goes on. But again, this is for those people who are starting to look past those excuses and are ready to kind of stake their flag in the ground and, and really ultimately make a decision here at this time in this year, that's going to change the rest of your life. So on today's episode, I've brought on what I consider to be one of the most powerful types of people. When I think about all the excuses that I have for why I'm not yet where I want to be and all the excuses that we all have for why we're not yet where we want to be, whether it's the job, it's the boss, it's the kids, it's the spouse, it's ourselves, it's our mentality, it's our knowledge. It's our resources. It's the timing. It's just off. I mean, there's so many things. But when I see a single busy mom, and I think this kind of just brings me back to childhood and how I was raised. But when I see a single busy mom striving and achieving so much more than she ever thought possible raising two kids, it really puts things in perspective for me. Like, man, like if a single mom can find the time, can find the resources, can find the energy, why can't I? I mean, I watched my mom do it all my life. A single mom with two kids do it all my life. Business after business, failure after failure, success after success. So why not me? Why not you? Why not now? My hopes is that this episode, if you haven't yet started down your real estate investing journey, or if you're you're just getting started and you really don't have a foothold on what it's going to look like, my hopes is that this episode gives you the keys. Today's guest, Mrs. Lauren Hardy, she's, again, a single mother of two that does over 50 deals a year, virtually. So we're going to get into Lauren's story, guys. We're going to talk about her why. We're going to talk about the divorce that changed everything and how she needed to start fending for herself and her kids. And then, of course, we're going to get into some strategy and we're going to help you assess your risk tolerance and your investor type. And if you're thinking about investing out of state, we're going to show you exactly how to find and vet boots on the ground. 
And then to make sure that you get started down your journey the right way, the last thing that we're going to show you is the four metrics, the only four metrics really when you're starting out that you need to track. So again, it's an absolutely amazing episode. We get into so many different things. Lauren is going to give you guys so many different wholesaling tips. And then I want you to go out there and take massive action, massive action. There's so much time left in this year to be great. There's so much time left in this year to go after your goals. There's so much time left in this year to turn it around if you're going the wrong way. So before we get to all the good stuff, I want to first applaud you guys for being an amazing tribe, an amazing community. I mentioned about two episodes ago that the goal is to get to 200 reviews. I think we're at like 146, 147 at the time. And since we've had about five or six reviews come in and it's been absolutely amazing to see all the new reviews and to know that, hey, we're going to get to this goal. At this pace, we'll get to this goal by the end of the year. But if you haven't yet left a review for this podcast in the directory that you're listening to it in, make sure that you do that. Make sure that you leave a review so that you are telling iTunes and all of the other podcast aggregators that you enjoy this podcast and that they should put it in front of the eyeballs of more people so that we can get these ideas and these tools and these teachings and these concepts out to more people. So if you want, right before the tip of the week coming up here now, take a quick pause and leave a five-star review, and I'll make sure that on our next Q&A to do shout-outs for all the most recent reviews. DeRay's Tip of the Week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again. The second annual 5K in 30 Days Challenge is starting in less than a week, and I am super excited. Last year, 2019, we had approximately 150 participants in this challenge. It was absolutely amazing, absolutely mind-blowing that this free challenge was helping so many people get their first deal done. Put 3 to 5 to 10K in their pocket. Some did it in 30 days. Most took a little bit longer, but the fact remains that they were able to build out their system and achieve massive results in just 30 days. And now here in 2020, we're getting ready to do the challenge once again. This is the second annual 5K and 30 day challenge. And if you are interested in signing up for the challenge, it's 100% free. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. Why am I so excited about this challenge and why is this challenge so fun and why are people getting results? Well, when you head over to that link beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K, it's going to ask you to put, put in your email address. Reason being is you are now becoming a part of a community of investors that are going to help you get to your goal, help you get to your first deal. So this free challenge is going to give you access to a backend portal that I've created for you and for you alone to show you exactly how to find motivated sellers and how to find investors. And every time you find a motivated seller that has a property that they want to sell and you find an investor and you match those two together, you collect a fee. We like to call that an assignment fee or a wholesale fee. And you get paid $2,500 or $5,000 or $10,000 for that fee. And if you want to learn how to build two buckets, one for investors and one for motivated sellers, and you continue matching them up throughout the rest of this year to collect those fees, then head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. 
Let me be your guide. I will walk you through the entire process and I'll give you all the scripts that you need to conquer your quest. Not only will you get scripts, but you'll also get a series of worksheets and contracts and explanation videos as if it's a full-fledged course. And that reminds me, guys, a lot of people have been asking, when is the Motivated Seller Method coming back out? When is your course re-releasing? And you guys know I only release my course twice a year for about one week. And we released it back in February. And we're getting ready to do another release here in the fall. So you guys stay tuned for that. Uh, if you're signed up for the 5K Challenge, you're actually going to be one of the, some of the first people to hear about as soon as the course releases. So, But again, what's cool about this 5K Challenge is that you don't need any experience. You don't need any credit. You don't need any banks and you don't need any money. And if this sounds too good to be true, again, all I'm requiring is an email address and you'll have access to the goods and you could immediately see if it's too good to be true. If this is something that real estate investors are doing every single day. In fact, I'm in the middle of a few deals right now and I'm sharing all the details with you inside of the challenge, but we'll get to that. This challenge is actually its second coming. So again, this is version 2.0. So we've looked at all the things that went right and all the things that went wrong during the first challenge, and we've came out with a brand new challenge. So what does this mean? Well, in the first challenge, a lot of people were getting held up by finding a perfect realtor and trying to work with a realtor and trying to get a realtor to send them deals. In this challenge, you no longer have to work with a realtor to source your deals. We're going to show you exactly how to source your deals, how to do it yourself, and how to get access to all of the information that you would normally rely on a realtor for. Another thing that we've done, bonus number two, is we've added a few software walkthroughs to make the entire process automated and streamlined for you. Again, getting you to your goal quicker, easier, and more efficient. And then last but not least, I wanted you guys to feel as if I was in it with you, but I've raised the stakes for myself. I'm actually participating in this challenge as bonus number three. And for my challenge, it's called the Think and Grow Rich Challenge. And I'm documenting for 30 days every single thing that I do in my business, every single deal that's coming across our table, everything that we're closing on, all the hiccups, all the money that we're losing, all the money that we're making. It's being documented as an added bonus inside of this challenge. But my goal isn't 5K. My goal is much higher than that. And this is to inspire you and to motivate you to think big and to internalize some of the concepts that I'm teaching directly from Think and Grow Rich right inside of this bonus of the challenge. And hey, I'm, I'm pretty worried about not hitting my goal. And you'll see that once you get access. But if you want to help out and have a deal or two or an idea for a partnership in the works, then definitely hit my line because um, my deadline is coming up here really, really soon. And this is going to be kind of fun. So um, I got this idea from Tim Bratz, a previous guest on the show. He um, he earned a million dollars in new revenue in 30 days. Now, by no means is that my goal, but I've kind of transformed what he did and I've turned it into something that I'm kind of proud of. And just a few days in, I think that this bonus alone can help so many people attain financial freedom just because of the revenue streams that I'm sharing in this bonus and how I've built these streams and how often they come in and where they're coming from. And I'm going to walk you through step by step the back end of my dashboard to show you exactly how I plan on reaching my goals. Again, this is something I've never done before, and this is something that I've never seen any other investor really do. But I'm going to show you the back end of everything that's going on as leads are coming in as we're converting them to contracts. 
And you're like, Doray, if you're giving this much value in your challenge, I could just imagine what's going to be in your course later this fall. Guys, you just, you're just going to have to wait and see. But again, to sign up for the challenge, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. That's beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K and join the challenge today. And now your feature presentation. Uh, It started with me working in uh, the corporate world. I had a full-time job and I had a baby. uh, I had a one-year-old and I had a baby on the way. I definitely, you know, before kids, I thought, oh, like I'm going to be like baby some boss bitch. And like, you know, I'm going to be like, I'm going to like be a CEO one day. I had like those kind of aspirations. Then I had a baby and realized how hard that is to work like corporate life, especially like if you have a bad boss or, you know, just annoying employees next to you and stuff and just how draining that could be. So I like quickly, once I became a mom, realized I need to start my own thing or like, I'm going to lose my mind. So, um, I had my daughter, she was one. Um, and I did not like at this point, I didn't care what I was going to do. I just, I needed to find something that was entrepreneurial or where I could work from home. Um, and my brother happened to be flipping houses at the time. So he was like, you should just try like what I do. You should flip houses. I mean, you can maybe just flip a couple a year and you make your salary and you know, you're, that's all you need to do. So initially it really was just like a way to basically, um, make my salary. It's like the daycare. Like I literally took my salary minus how much I paid in daycare and was like, okay, if I could just stay home with my kid, I only have to make this much money, which equals like two houses in California to flip. So Lauren, what what was your biggest pain point? What was that? What was your biggest pain point that caused you to go to your brother? It was just exhaustion. Like my daughter was, you know, I mean, they're, I don't know if you have kids, but like they wake up all hours of the night. I mean, even when they're one years old, I had to be at my office by eight. I left by five. I had an hour commute. I literally saw my daughter like two hours a day. And then I had to put her to bed. I mean, there was literally one time she was five months old and I come to pick her up from daycare and she's clinging onto the daycare provider sobbing because she's actually closer to the daycare provider than she was her own mom. Wow. And that was like a bad day. (laughs) So that really like, that was what pushed me to just look for anything that I could do. Before this, Lauren, like, did you consider yourself an organized person, a timely person? Were you, were you like, you know, were you a type A personality? I am. Yes, I was. Okay. Here's why, here's why I'm asking. I think that, and you, I know you can attest to this so many people, but I think that there are so many people who believe, who 100% without a doubt believe that they do not have time. Right. So many people. A lot, yeah. And you got to see your daughter an hour, maybe two hours a day, max. And I know how 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 like hurtful that can be, and not from a parent aspect, but as a child. Like you know, I grew up with a single parent in a single parent family, so I know exactly what that is. Like my mom is slaving, right? And I don't know if if that if this is a single parent situation. I want to dive into that as well, and maybe you can kind of expand on that. It sounds like it is, but it has to be super frustrating. And, and, and as that frustration is building up again, I've never been in your position, but I could just kind of picture it like 
you can tell yourself everything that everybody else tells themselves. You can tell yourself what all the other moms tell themselves. Like, how do I do something on the side when I already only have an hour for my daughter? Like, how do I do that? There's, there's no way. So I want you to kind of bust some myths, kind of tell us how this happened. Because again, there's so many people who, who are going to push back, right? And it may not be a daughter or a son, right? It may be a second job. It may be taking care of grandma. Right? I mean, there's so many things that are going on in all our lives and we feel like we don't have the time. Bust some myths for us real quick. Well, here's how I bust that myth. And it's always, it's a, it's a math equation. So I got my calculator out here. <laughs> I love it. There we go. There are 24 hours in a day. Two, four. Sure. Okay. Not sure if you know that. <laughs> okay. A typical like eight to five work, work day. That's, you know, what, nine hours with your lunch. So let's just say uh, that's nine hours a day minus, uh, hold on. So minus nine hours. So like typically you're supposed to be working during those nine hours for another company. <laughs> typically. Typically. You're <laughs> <supposed> to be, okay. <laughs> um, you've got now you still got 15 hours left. How many hours do you need to sleep? For the sake of this exercise, you'll only <laughs> sleep seven hours, okay? okay. You'll okay. get back to sleeping eight hours a day once you start your business and, and it's going and you can quit your full-time job. But, you know, for now, suck it up, sleep seven hours. That's still enough. Um, you still have eight hours, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you still have them. you got to carve them out. So that's what I did. I carved them out. Yeah. I would, in the morning... I would, when I'm in the car, I got educated. So I would listen to podcasts like a junkie. I would, if I got a course on tape in real estate, because I did buy a lot of those like courses, um, similar to the coaching program I sell and they're like, I could stream them. So I would listen to that in the car. Um, so my hour commute back and forth, I would listen to education. If I had to do any kind of callbacks, I would do it on my Bluetooth in the car. Um, my lunch break was a big one. So I used to make seller offers on my lunch break. I would go to a park near the office. So no, no, like no one would see me. And um, I would just hammer out offers. I would, I had this like folder. This brings back so many memories. (laughs) I had like, yeah, like I had a folder. I did old school. I didn't even have like a CRM at the time. It was like, I had this complicated folder system and it was like, it's like motivated sellers that I need to follow up every day. Like ones I needed to make offers to ones I needed to follow up with. And I would just open up the folders, bang, 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 call them out. And then if I couldn't get a hold of them, I would try to call them on my drive home while I'm driving because there was a lot of traffic. So I'd pretty much be sitting there on the freeway anyway. Um, if they called while I happened to be at work at the time, I wasn't like micromanaged at my job. So I could step out if it was like super important, like I could kind of step out and get away with that. Um, and then after work, I would stay up. I- there were like, I needed comp out properties. I would stay up till like 11 o'clock at night and comp those things out. So it was ready for the next day. So on my lunch break, I can call and make those offers. Um, and then you've got your weekends. So it sounds like to me, Lauren, that this was your mentality. If I don't sacrifice now, I will continue spending an hour with my daughter for the rest of my life. Yes. Once a day. Yep. So but I, if need I sacrifice in the short term, mm-hmm. the little time I do have, I can spend all day with her for the rest of my life for as much as I want. Yep. 
Okay, got it, got it. You know, when you were talking, I kind of, I kind of went back to corporate America myself, and I was just like, man, I remember those, those those days and what I used to do. And you know, I used to, um, I used to live in Dallas, and I remember we had a parking garage and outside of my uh, outside of my company. So I used to go to my parking garage every single day during lunch and get in my car, call my mentor, ask him what I needed to do that day start doing it. And it was, it was literally a repeat cycle. I remember when, when things really hit the fan and when like, I felt like I needed to make a certain amount of offers or I needed to talk to a certain amount of investors. Like there mm-hmm. were certain points in time. I don't remember what the situations were where I had to literally take my laptop, my, my MacBook, take yeah. it back inside to work. And now like my, my coworkers are looking at me like, what in the world is Dre doing? And I would take it inside of work. I would go set up inside of an office, an empty office that none of the, you know, none of the uh, VPs are in. And I would, I would work in there on my lunch break and people would pass by all my coworkers. Like, like, what is he doing? Like, does he work for like the secret service? Like what? Because nobody really knew what was going on, but I, right. I need, it was, it, it was intense. Right. When you, when you have that burning desire to, to leave your job, to completely change your life. I mean, you're going to do what it is, what, it, what, what makes it possible. Uh, I bring that my, my audience knows this story so much because last summer I was uh, I was training one of my students and she was so bent on she didn't have enough time. Right. I remember she had a full time job. Um, she had a second job. She was babysitting. She was taking care of everybody around her, her parents and her cousin. It was it was just so much. And she felt like it was draining. Yeah. And ultimately, she told me, Dory, the reason why I didn't make my calls this week or I didn't do this this week is because I just don't have the time. Like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Like, if I had time, trust me, I would. Like, I tried to make, I, I think I made 10 calls this month. And I'm like, how can you make 10 calls and think that you're going to get a deal done? Like, it's right. never going to happen. She was like, well, yeah, I'm trying to do a little bit now. So once I get the deal, then I'll have more time. I'm like, it's never going to work. That's not how it works. Like you, you gotta, you gotta, it's a mental place you have to go to first before you get there in, in the physical world. So I was just like, all right, let's just do this exercise where, you know, the, the, her goal was 10 K and I was like, all right, let me write this 10 K check for you, but you can't cash it. You cannot cash it. Right. And, and, and this is, this is where, you know, it, it, it gets trippy in the mind because she told me that she needed eight hours worth of sleep. She told me, she's like, Dorey, you don't understand. If I get seven, I will be cranky. I'm one of those people. When you tell yourself that, you will see every evidence in the world that you are one of those people. So she had those types of beliefs. The minute I told her that I would write her the check and she could cash it at the end of the month, as long as she made 300 calls or whatever her, her assignment was, her, her mentality from the month before completely changed. Mm-hmm. She learned in one second how she could sacrifice sleep for a month, for two months, for three months, if she knew she was going to get the money. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't that she could, she didn't have the time. It was that she didn't believe that she could actually earn that money because if she believed it, like when she knows that the 10K is there at the end of the month, mm-hmm. everything changes. Her right. whole mindset flips. When she ha- doesn't have that certainty, it's just like, uh, do I really want to make these calls? I can't because I have all these other things. Because again, it's all about your belief system. So earlier on, Lauren, you had the belief that this was something possible for you because you saw your brother doing it. Right. I and saw other you, people doing it. Too. You saw other people doing it. And, and, and again, because you have a type A personality, it was something that it was immediately, I'm driven to do this. I'm going to do this. Right. So what did, what did the, the, the very first deal look like? How did things come about? Was it immediate? Did it take three months? Did it take six months? How did that first, first one come about for you? Yeah, no, it, it did take a while. Um, so I, 
I worked my corporate job alongside with starting this business for one year. So I will say there was a sucky year where I didn't go out very much and I didn't do very much. But again, that was the one year of sacrifice. Okay. Then I was able to quit my full-time job and I had way more work-life balance and it was amazing. So, um, the first, it took about four months to get the first contract um, in the first flip property. And I, I started out as a house flipper. So it took four months of making offers and just not knowing what to say to sellers and practicing negotiation and probably sounding horrible. And, you know, uh, but I just kept going and making, you know, I just made offers every single day and followed up, followed up. And after a while, the pipeline kind of, you know, grew, the snowball grew and I got like my first deal and it was a flip deal. And it was like, I was so like, yeah, this is awesome. My, and I went in on it with my brother. Um, our agreement was that if, you know, I found the deal, he would basically handle the rest and he would teach me the rest as we go. So we found the deal. We, he funded it with private money. Um, it was a private money lender that he had worked with before and uh, we fixed it up. We resold it and it was the best time at that time because the market started creeping up. So just during our whole time, we had like a 10% like equity growth just when we held it. So that deal net us like around $60,000. That's awesome. So it was very much like a beginner's luck kind of thing. That's awesome. What did did you mean by the, 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 the pipeline, your pipeline specifically kept building? Like what, what, what do you mean by that? How did that look? So like, you know, when you first, so I do direct to seller marketing, that's how I get my, you know, my deals. Um, and the way that typically that works is you're sending some kind of marketing out to a seller, whether it's a text message, a cold call, a, a direct mail piece. At that time I was doing direct mail um, and you are getting seller leads back. And the thing about direct to seller marketing is usually the seller, when you first touch them, it's not like they're ready to say yes right then and there. They usually need a couple months to season. And then well, I want you guys to listen to this part. <laughs> yeah, right. And they need some time. They're never going to just be like, yeah, I'll take your lowball offer. Like, no, you know, they're going to like say no. And then you're going to like say, okay, well, like, what would you take? And maybe you go back and forth a little bit and then, or maybe you can't come up with the price and you just follow up with them a week later. And then maybe two weeks later, and then a month later, depending on the situation. So I just kind of put, you know, I just kept following up with the sellers. I would make offers and then I would follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. And then finally somebody said, yes, (laughs) like finally somebody was like, actually, yeah, I'm finally, I'm ready to sign. I'm ready to sell. Let's do this. And that's right. I think that, and of course, you know, this phrase, it's, it's popularly coined, the fortune is in the follow-up. And I see so many people, so many people, um, they don't, they don't follow up at all. And it's yeah. insane, right? Like, it's just like, you paid all this money for this list or for these leads or for these signs or for these letters. And you try, you, you worked your hardest and, you know, you market it to them and, and crickets. So you go get another list. And you start yeah. all over and then you do the same thing. Every, no, like, no, like that list that you were attacking six months ago, revisit that list. That list that you're attacking three months ago, revisit like, like you paid for that list. Like that, that, that's gold in there. And a lot of these people, again, you need a few touch points before they're finally like, you know what? Now is the time. So, so what, how did you, what does your follow-up system look like? How do you know, like, all right, I'm going to follow up with this person this week, this person next week. Like, are you using the CRM and how, how do you kind of determine all of that? 
Um, I actually am using a CRM. I use Podio right now and I've customized my Podio over the years to really match like my business and my sales philosophy and just the way I, you know, train my team. Because at this point, I have a team that does everything. I don't run, I don't work in my wholesale business at all. Um, I have uh, acquisition manager, dispo manager, lead managers, and they do everything. And so I'm very hands-off in my business now. Um, But I do have a CRM where I can oversee everybody. Um, I do have, uh, we have a pattern. We have, it's a linear system. Once a seller comes into, you know, our, our CRM, it's, they've got to go through the process. So High, high level, what does that look like? Um, so the process is a lead will come into our system. They get entered into our CRM by a virtual assistant. So there is no like way that say one of my employees can just throw a lead away and it disappear. The VA controls everything. She is my eyes in the sky of everybody. Cause I've, I've hired some acquisition managers that cherry pick their leads and throw leads away. And that's the worst thing you can do. Every lead needs to have that motivation is assumed. You need to assume motivation for every single lead that you get. I don't care if they don't sound motivated. You need to assume they are. So that. they go into my CRM and it's a linear system from that point forward. Is your, um, is your, is your VA a, um, a U.S. based VA or uh, no, no Philippines. Awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I just wanted to. Awesome. awesome. So, um, a lead goes into our system and the first stage is we qualify them. So we have a qualifying call in that call. The goal is to get the seller to like you. I don't really care so much about talking about price. I just want the seller to like me and to know what we do and who we are. Um, from that point, if the seller is still wanting to receive an offer for the property, they're going to go to the acquisition manager to then get an offer. Um, at that point, the acquisition manager tries to reach them to get them on the phone and we make offers over the phone. Everything we do is over the phone because I'm virtual. So I actually work in out of state markets. I am not local to where I invest in. So my acquisition manager gets them on the phone, delivers an offer to them. Um, and then there's a negotiation and we, I train them on a script and kind of the way I, what I want them to say, and I'll save you the, spare you those details. Um, but um, when we determine that, you know, say the seller, I mean, 90% of the time is going to say, no, that price doesn't work. Like they never say, yeah. Um, we say, okay, well, we'll follow up with you. Um, we put them in kind of like a, maybe a one day, two day follow-up to say, Hey, you slept on it. Did you think, you know, did you think any more about that price? What price would you take? And we try to see if we can come to an agreement on price there. These follow-ups are typically via email or text message. All phone. All phone, phone calls. Text is good too, because like a lot of people don't want it. We're, we are such a text heavy society. So we do text a little bit too, but I never, I always want that, like the phone call to be the offer, because if you do it by a text, they'll just ignore you and block you and never talk to you again. Whereas like, if you're on the phone, you can kind of hear them, hear what they say, like get the conversation going, keep them liking you. Cause liking you is important. Like you just want the seller to like you. That is so important because they all revealed their price. And if they like you enough, they'll tell you what other investors offered and give you a shot at first right of refusal. And that's my goal really is just to get at that first right of refusal level with that seller when they like me that much. And they're like, you know what, this other, you know, investor offered this, but I like you. So, you know, if you can match that, I'd be happy, you know? So, um, so, you know, and if they are, if they're really, I call it kind of cold, I put them in a, more longer term follow-up pattern 
I have a bucket and I call it follow up cold. Everybody that is cold where we are just so off on price. I mean, they are like night and day or they're just like really not ready to sell. They were tire kickers. Anybody basically who ever expressed an interest in selling from my marketing as long as they weren't hostile and told me to never call them again, they go into this bucket. And then I, every quarter, we either cold call that bucket of leads, we text it, or we'll send direct mail. I love it. I love so that's, it. it's like a mass way to reach those people again in a really easy kind of bulk way. So they get touched, you know, again, and, and believe it or not, like every time we do a follow-up cold, we always close a couple deals out of that. People Ooh, change yeah. their mind. And again, the fortune is in the follow-up and Lauren has just highlighted that. So let's, before we get into a little bit more strategy, let's get back to your, into your story. So, I mean, before you came along, your brother didn't think about growing in such a way where he replaces himself in the business. Was that your idea? And what did that idea spark from? Did you start reading books? Did you get a mentor? Because again, you've completely removed yourself from the wholesaling portion of your business. So how did that, like walk me through, you know, the next part of your story and some, how some of that started to come along for you? Well, you know, I mean, I think it was like, I I caught the bug. Like I, you know, I did a deal, saw the money there, you know, and I, I am a pretty ambitious person. I do like, I don't, I'm always like, what's next? You know, um, at the time, my first goal was I just envisioned myself at the park in the middle of the day on a Tuesday. Yes, like yes. that was all I, just, <laughs> yes. that was all I cared. I didn't it's funny care. We always have this, that, that, that goal that I don't know why it's, it's, it's a lot of us have a very peculiar goal and it sounds very similar to that as to why we want to leave, but that's all I wanted. I just wanted, I was like, I would j- literally just dream about that when I was working my corporate job is that it's a beautiful day outside and I'm pushing my daughter on a swing and it's like a Tuesday at like 10 in the morning. Cause like, I, ne- I didn't even know what that looked like. Like what, what even is Tuesday at 10 in the morning? Like, are there aliens that walk around? Like, it, like it, it feels what? like, it feels like the, it's the best feeling in the world. Like I remember when I used to sit, skip school, it was like a, a fifth grader. Like my mom, I, mom, can, can, can I please not go to school today? She would yeah. say no every year, all day, every day, yeah. but there would be this one time yeah. and I just like see cars and people going to work and I just like, wow. So this is like what people do in the real world. Like this is interest. Uh, again, it's, it's that, I don't know what it's like, I guess it's a nostalgic feeling, but I get it. I get it. Yeah. So that was my first goal. So then when I achieved that goal and I'm at the park and I'm pushing my daughter, you know, then it was like, all right, what's like my next goal, you know? And I, I started really seeing bigger things for me. I was like, you know, like I kind of see myself like actually having a pretty profitable, you know, company and like, closing lots of deals and like maybe like a house on the beach or like a nicer home or like, I don't know, just what, what, I, what allowed you to dream that big? I mean, was that, was, did you, did you, was there any role models? Is this something it, that it, was, it, it was the, you know, the other educators when I was, you know, cause I, I was buying into education programs cause I was refining my skills and I wanted to get better at what I was doing. And, you know, I remember um, like one in particular was Justin Williams. He was one of the first educators that I, um, you know, I bought into a lot of his uh, programs and would watch him speak and got close with him. And um, he even offered like a higher level mastermind that I was a part of. And I did really aspire to have his life. You know, he had uh, like, I think he had four kids and like he lived in San Clemente and they had a nice house and like he just had so much work-life balance. He would travel whenever he wanted with his family. And I just kind of like wanted that life, like a rich life, you know, with my kids. 
Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it, it turned into not just wanting my salary, you know, replaced, but it, it turned into, okay, now I want to make a little, you know, I mean, I want to be a little bit more comfortable and I want to set myself up for retirement. So I just started, you know, getting, uh, the bigger financial goals. Um, you know, so that helped. And then I think that then that takes you to the next part of the journey, which was then I now became a single mom. And so then that turned into different goals as well. So, you know, talk, talk about that. How, I mean, if you, if you, if you care to share, talk about how that, how that transition happened for you. Yeah. So, you know, once, like, I think my business, um, I got married really young and, um, you know, I, I think that once we had the two kids, I got, we both got really settled into our careers. Like he, I think we were, it's funny, like we kind of grew up together, you know, and we got really settled into our careers and then it was like, okay, the dust settled. Now it's like, we're, 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 we are where we are supposed to go. Now what, you know? And we just kind of, we didn't really have what it took to make the marriage work. And we, we separated very amicably. Um, but now it was okay. Now I'm a single mom and I don't have like a, like a husband now to like rely on. I don't have his insurance. Like I don't have, you know, like the money that he brings in, if I'm having a rough month, like I am on my own. And essentially like, you know, I don't make a paycheck. Like I, I, you know, there's good months and there's bad months. And so now it turned into like, my back is against the wall and that's different. You know, I think now I'm more motivated under pressure a little bit. It turned in from aspirations and picturing me at the park with kids and things like that and not having a job to now like legit like pressure <laughs> to, to make it work. But I'll tell you what, the pressure is what took me next level. Mm. Like mm. that was like, that was where it turned into like, okay, I just want to make, you know, my salary or just kind of be comfortable to like now, you know, where I'm at now. So I don't think I... Did, did you find that your brother wanted to grow with you or did you find that you had to kind of go out and do your own because he, he just had a different vision? Oh, well, Dustin and I actually only did two deals together. Gotcha. So we just did the first two. We never intended on being partners. He just wanted, you know, he just wanted what's best for me and taught me the business and was like, no, you, you do great at it. Do it your, on your own. Wow. And so, yeah, he just taught me how to, you know, flip a couple houses and he, um, we still like, you know, talk all the time about the business and trade ideas and, you know, things like that. So now we're just, you know, uh, I guess, I don't know, colleagues in the business. I have no idea, but that I don't works. know, partner, but they're not partners. I don't know what you call it. Like friends, but he's my brother. I don't know. Right. <laughs> just so siblings. Like, now we do, it. now we just do the business separately, but you know, we kind of do, and we do it differently. You know, we, we have very different um, ideas on kind of what we wanted to do. And it's all kind of based on our tolerances, you know, and things we like and things we don't like. So I'm interested, I'm interested in, in, could you expand on that? Like what, what were your preferences as opposed to his and how did you choose your vehicle as opposed to how he chose his, his system or his vehicle? You know, he, we're very different. So I would say the biggest thing difference is he did not really want to go out of state. He would like, and he still doesn't. He, every time he thinks about going out of state, he'll like end up getting a deal that back in California will convince him that he doesn't want to go out of state. And then like, He'll like start thinking about it again, you know, and then he'll get another deal in California and be like, nah, never mind. I don't want to go to state, you know? Um, whereas for me, I didn't like the feast or famine mentality of California. Um, when you're a California investor, 
it is rough. When, not just California, I'll say if some of your listeners are in higher priced markets, you're looking at a more feast and f- or famine type of operation where you might go a couple months and not get a deal. And then when you do get a deal, yeah, it's, you know, a five figure kind of paycheck. Um, and, you know, but you might've had to spend more money in marketing to get it. So that to me is anxiety. Like that to me was living in a constant state of anxiety because I would get a deal and then I would already be thinking, well, when am I going to get my next one? You know, there was never, it it was like, there was never this like pipeline of like five deals that are going to close in July. It was like, okay, I'm working on this one deal. I'm still marketing for other deals and I hope I get one, you know, but like it was, there was a lot of uncertainty. My brother has a better tolerance for that he has more of a tolerance for that kind of stress than he has a tolerance for trying to make something out of state work. Um, whereas for me, I challenge that belief because he kind of thinks, and a lot of people do that. Oh, working out of state, having an out of state, there's so much hassle to that. And, oh my gosh, for the amount of work it takes to, to manage a wholesale business out of state, you might as well just stay in your own state. I mean, that's so much extra work. And I challenged that. I said, nope, I bet you it's either the same or easier because out-of-state properties are less expensive. It's easier to convince a seller to take a discount on their home. So you're going to like have an easier time. Let you, You're going to have to work less leads to get deals, um, probably spend less in marketing to get deals. You know, I had all these theories and I, re- I was right. I proved them right. <laughs> They're all right. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> but- all right. So, man, I have so much to uncover. I know, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I love how you guys have different philosophies and yeah. nobody's, you know, no, like, what's what he's doing is working for him and what's what you're doing is working for you. Right. And right. I want to dive more, of course, since you're on the show, I want to dive more into what you're doing and, and, and this virtual wholesaling concept. And you've dropped so many different nuggets on us. I just kind of want to pick those apart because I know a lot of the listeners are interested um, yeah. in, in possibly having a virtual real estate business. But, you know, when you think about the the scariest thing right you're not actually visiting the properties you're not actually looking at the properties how do you go about the process of boots on the ground so virtual wholesaling is i mean it took me a while to figure out and crack the code but i was like i'm gonna do this so i did for four years i invested in my backyard like in la i say in my backyard loosely because LA Inland Empire, it would take me sometimes two hours to get there because of California traffic. So, um, but the out of state component came around 2016. I, I was like, I can't live like this. I need to diversify my marketing because I feel like California deals are drying up and I need to go somewhere else where they're not. So I, I figured it, I just had to figure it out. It took a while, a lot of trial and error. Um, I do have boots on ground. Um, I don't go look at properties. We make prop, uh, we make our offers sight unseen. We actually lock the contracts up sight unseen. Um, we don't do inspections until we have a contract on the home. Tell me your reasoning behind that. I don't want to waste time. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So, and then when you do the inspection, you're able to kind of go back and, you know, uncover whatever it is and kind of renegotiate from there. Right. And we're pretty good with our pricing. Um, a lot of times, you know, we, we price kind of in a unique way. I feel like you don't hear it talked about as much in um, other like courses and podcasts. I look at properties like they're a commodity. So I look at a property the same way you would price out like nail polish at a store that CVS versus target or something. 
Um, I look at what are other cash buyers buying these types of properties for, and I just make an offer around that. If you don't, if I don't overcomplicate my offers with ARV minus repairs and stuff like that. Um, I don't do any of that. I, I make my offers just based off of what the cash sales are in the area. And I minus out my wholesale fee. And if we're anywhere in the range with the seller, we lock it up. I like, and, I like that a lot. I mean, guys, that's a, another bomb from Mrs. Lauren Hardy. <laughs> that's beautiful. That was so, a game changer when I, when I started applying that game changer for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. So that's beautiful, guys. Again, take heed to that. Yeah. And you've been talking about this pipeline, and this is the kind of the last subject I want to touch on before we head to the final round. But you've been talking about this pipeline and, you know, filling up your bucket and, you know, a certain amount of deals are coming through. I want to talk about KPIs really quick and what things should be looking like in a business, right? So you talked about, you talked, you talked about the fact that you may, I think, I think you said in, in, in California, like, or, or outside, um, when you're investing out of state, um, you need less leads, right? To close on a deal. Mm-hmm. You also said that you need less marketing dollars to close on a deal. So I want to know from your point of view, what are the averages, right? For every 25 leads or for every 40 leads, right? We're, we're able to close on a deal or, you know, we're spending, you know, the X amount of money in marketing to make sure that we get a deal and the deals on average are yielding this. So I want, I want us to talk about KPIs and kind of see what, are, what KPIs are you paying attention to? So I have a lot of opinions on KPIs. So <laughs> I, the first, my first main opinion that I'll say before I get into my answers is I don't, I do not overanalyze or track too much with KPIs because then it becomes a bottleneck and you never do it. Mm. So I first used to track every little thing, right? Like it was like, how many text messages does it take to get one lead that then takes to one deal or, you know, or how many... What is, yeah, what's the cost per lead? Why do I care what the cost per lead is? Like, I don't know why anyone cares about that. I, you know, especially when you're running multiple marketing campaigns, like I'm running multiple, I'm doing texting, cold calling, direct mail. I mean, like it will, it's brain damage to figure out all these KPIs. So after years and years and years of tracking different KPIs and not doing it because it was such a bottleneck, I realized like, what are the easiest KPIs to track that I can track with a push of my button on a CRM, something that I can track very easily. I can, my team can kind of just push a button and then I know what my team's doing just by looking at my CRM and like, what, what can I do? I, I just, I just want to say, I just want to say, I know that you've been doing this for a while. I like how you set that up. <laughs> I love that. But I'm interested. What, what are the KPIs? Well, I know. And more on the CRM. I mean, the CRM, I'm actually developing in a CRM for this like reason. Cause it's like help my, that was one thing I noticed newer investors struggle with is like all these processes. So I'm, I'm developing actually a very, like a streamlined system that will, it's a CRM that's going to help with like your sales and your tracking and everything. And it's only the things that you need to track. So like I'm telling, I tell my students like, stop with all the crazy tracking stuff. You're going to make yourself crazy and you're going to do that more than you're going to make offers. You're going to get, and I'm more concerned that you went out and made offers. I don't care if you made them on scratch pieces of paper and you don't have a CR yet. Like I would rather know that you made 10 offers that day than track your KPIs. So anyway, the KPIs that I like to track are leads, offers, contracts and deals. Those, there are four things and they're very easy to track with your CRM. Your CRM can practically do it for you. I'm also very particular about the definitions. You have to be very careful. It's like a science experiment. Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. has to be controlled. 
So like my definition of a lead could be different than your definition of a lead. So then you're going to ask me, and I already know that's next is how many leads does it take to get one deal? And I'm going to say, well, how do you define a lead? Mm. Cause that's important. So I have to, so I tell my students, like we need to make sure we are on the same page about how we define these things. So that way I can diagnose your problems, you know? So if you tell me, gosh, I got a hundred leads and I still haven't gotten a deal. It's like, okay, that is a little bit of a red flag. That's like, Oh, what are you in California? Like, (laughs) uh, I think that's what's going on right there. Um, But then it's like, well, what did you think a lead was? And they're like, Oh, I sent a hundred text messages. I'm like, that's not a lead. Like, come on, (laughs) you know? Or it's like these like big, like these big for your britches people. They're like, oh, I mean, it only takes me five leads to get a deal. And I'm like, well, what do you define a lead? Right, and they're right. like, oh, well, it's, um, I don't know, like somebody who they have to have had someone die. Um, <laughs> and so much property to, I already have under contract. <laughs> yeah, and then they have to like, and be in bankruptcy at the same time. Like they have to have like three qualifying events <laughs> to be a lead or whatever. And I'm like, hey, that's a problem too. That's another extreme, like that's a problem. So yeah. I just say a lead to me is they said, yes, I'd like to sell. And yes, within the next six months, that's it. That's a lead to me. That yeah. person gets, my VA puts that person in my database and we track that. And oh, it all God. starts from there. So then I know like, okay, so if we got 45 leads, you know, we, about half of those should have offers with them. And the reason it's half is because half of them just drop off half of them. You can't get a hold of them again. They, they say one, they like, like, yeah, I'd sell. And then like, why did I say that? Like, I'm not going to sell them. And you can never get, they just ghost you. They ghost you, you know? So then there's like the other 50 that actually answers their call. And I can see like, they have a button that they have to push that whenever they make an offer, they have to push um, the offer sent date in the CRM. And then I know, okay, so about 50% of the leads are getting offers. Um, If that number starts looking to be 20%, that tells me there's a problem. Um, And then, you know, so we got, and then you got your contracts and your deals, you know, and there's other things that you can let kind of look at. Like if you like, how many contracts does it take to get one deal? Well, if it takes four contracts for you to finally close a deal, that tells me you're locking up everything under the sun and you're really bad at pricing and you need to get better about it. (laughs) Like if you are, if you are one-to-one, like if you are for every contract, you close it unless you are like high level and you really know what you're doing and you know, pricing in that area, that's actually an indication that you're not being pricing. like not taking enough risk. Yep. And yep. You're only taking like the, the most obvious deals and you're not taking enough risk and locking up something that's a little bit more, maybe not, you're not super sure about. And I'm telling you, it's okay to lock that one up as long as you are, Um, you know, you're doing it in an ethical way and you have, you know, your contract is protecting you in that scenario. Um, So those are the ones that I care about. That's it. And then when it comes to dollars and cents, when it comes to profitability of a company, I run my company, like I'd run a yogurt shop. Like I, I look at just my margin, my profit margin at the end of the day, I'm like, all right, these are my expenses. This is the, you know, grow like gross profits. My net profit is X a profit margin of what like looks good to me, you know? And then I asked my other high level friends that do it the same way. Cause they, that's how they are doing it. Um, and we just compare our profit margins and see if keep, like we're about right. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And my, like, and I have a bookkeeper that does that for me. So it's like, it's like one less thing I have to do, you know? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, man, Lauren, this has been an amazing episode. I had one last question, but I just remembered that when we, I wanted to uh, run back up to our prior conversation on boots on the ground and just make sure I, I had all the bases covered. I know you call them runners. Um, yeah. how many do you need and, and what, are, what is their function? Um, basically like if you, you know, if you're thinking, all right, I want to wholesale in a brand new area, right. Um, you know, wherever, right. What, what do you start to piece together in that area? So there's, there is a lot on this topic. Um, but I, so you asked me about you runners. I, I think that a runner is a great person to get, but there's other boots on ground. You know, you definitely need, we can get into that, you know, for another day. Of course. But a runner specifically is a, I call them a runner, like an errand runner. That's where I got the term from errand runner. And they basically like serve like you, like pretend they're you. And like, it's like, Hey, I need you to go take photos of this property that I just got under contract. So the runner will go and meet the seller, shake their hand. Hey, I'm Lauren. I work with Lauren, um, TMF real estate. Uh, my name is Ashley. I'm here to take some photos, you know, and they just have to present themselves well and, um, you know, just look professional and go do what I tell them to do. Um, sometimes runners will just put lock boxes on homes or um, meet sellers that like don't have internet or like they're not familiar or they don't feel comfortable signing like via DocuSign, like a runner will come with a contract and just hand them the contract and get it signed and then take it back and scan it to me. Um, so they almost just act like an acquisitions person, but they don't, I keep my runners, like they don't know too much about the business because I, I've had some shadiness going on with, you know, um, at, when I tried hiring acquisitions locally to those local markets, that invited a lot of shady business. So I was like, nope, like I keep everything in house when it comes to my leads uh, when it comes to my database, that's all local here um, because it was very, there was a lot of shady business when it's virtual. So my runners don't know too much. Now the runner, if there's a question, so say like the seller asks the runner a question like, hey, when am I, so like when, what's next? The runner will be like, oh, we'll contact Lauren, you know, or if it's like immediate, like she'll pick up the like, hey, Lauren, so-and-so is asking me this question. You want to talk to her really quick? So yeah, I love that. So I have uh, t- two last follow-up questions for that. Give us one resource to find runners and then give us a tip on vetting runners. Craigslist. That's where I find them all. It's great. Um, and, you know, you pay them somewhere around 20 bucks an hour. Um, so in qualifying them, you definitely want to Zoom with them at one point. Make sure, like, you see what they how they present themselves because, like, you don't want – like some, I, one funny story was someone not, it was, didn't happen to me, but someone had a runner that I guess had like a drinking problem. Oh, and like, <laughs> like one of the sellers was like, he was like, smelt like alcohol when he came here. And I was like, yeah, you don't want like someone that's, you know, going to not represent you very well. You want somebody that looks professional, um, you know, holds themselves well. And, um, you know, I mean, it's basic stuff. It's like, it's like having a hiring a personal assistant, you know? Okay. I love it. I love it. Lauren, what's, and this is, this can be this, let's, let's, if, if it's going to be something that you've purchased, let's make it a hundred dollars or less, but what's one of the most or the best worthwhile investments that you've ever made in yourself? This can be, again, an investment of money. Let's keep it at a hundred dollars of less if it is, but maybe it's an investment of time or an investment of energy, but what's one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made in yourself personally? Oh, okay. Uh, 
I would, are you going to ask me what my favorite book is next? Uh, that's coming up in the next round. So. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Then I won't answer you because know, I was right. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, I was like, wait, you're going to ask me that. Hold on, hold on that. Okay. This guy right here. Oh, the planner. So my she's bullet journal. What's, what type is it? It's a bullet journal. A bullet journal. Who, yes. who made the bullet journal? Me. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, um, I talk about bullet journaling a lot. Yeah. So, um, I love the bullet journal. This thing was like 20 bucks on Amazon. Um, if you like Google bullet journaling, it's like a whole movement. Yeah. Um, I have a certain way that I, um, I do like my, if you can kind of like see, I put like things in four different categories and I got that from Darren Hardy. Um, I follow Darren Hardy. So like if you ever, uh, it's free Darren daily. Um, he, if you sign up for it, you'll get like a daily email um, of a video and he, no relation by the way. Yeah, no relation. (laughs) Um, but he talks about, um, like how to like, put things in the four categories and whatever. It's like a whole long thing. But um, I think the bullet journal and like, I looked up like bullet journaling and like what to use it for. And like, you can set little goals and it's just this intentional habit. I do every Monday, I set up my week in my bullet journal. And like, I, I I don't know it like relieves anxiety. Like I like will set it up on Monday and I just know like, these are the things I need to do this week. And maybe, you know, I am that type A person. It's like, I want to see like, okay, I checked it all off, you know, um, 20 so bucks. I absolutely love it. That, that is, that is gold guys. And here, here's mine. I, I use the, uh, the 90 X journal. So guys, I'm holding up my journal as well. And it's, um, it's absolutely essential for a type A personality. So, uh, that's a, that's a great recommendation. Hey guys, quick reminder before the last round, you're probably sizzling from this episode and just itching to get started down your real estate investing journey. Well, don't forget I have the roadmap for you. We have an entire challenge built around helping you create your real estate portfolio and start to create cash fast in the next 30 days. So head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. That's beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K to register for the free challenge today. Again, this challenge is going to help you get your first wholesale deal done quick, build out your real estate system, and continue to do deals every month after that. The challenge is at beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Um, what is a before the millions book? So a book that helped you along your journey before the millions. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is it accredited by no, the, no, no. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I always use the same book, Darren Hardy's compound effect. Love it. Love it. I love that book. That's a great recommendation. Um, tell me why. Tell me why. I think it's like the type A. It's just so type A in, in us. I notice anybody who's type A likes Darren Hardy stuff. It's because it shows you that the like the little habits, the little choices that you make that seem so insignificant at the moment, they compound over time. And if you see how they compound, it's like this, you know, like it's like a steady slope and then all of a sudden, boom. Like for me, like I wasn't an overnight success. I was not, trust me. Like it was just that every day I chipped away and made those offers and those follow-up calls, those little things. I made that choice to do that every day. And that's where I ended up getting to now, you know, I've, I've been doing upwards of 50 deals a year, you know, for a while now. Um, 
it's because I made those little choices every single day. And I learned that from that book. That was one of the first books I read when I started like my journey into entrepreneurialism. So I recommend it to everybody. Boom. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Lifestyle design. Oh, I have a good one. Trello. Oh yeah. I love Trello. Why do you, why do how do you use Trello? Okay. I actually just did a demo on it, which is funny. So that's why it's fresh in my head. Um, I use it to organize my marketing lists and my VA. So I have a virtual assistant that handles all my marketing. So I only have to really fuss with my marketing about once a quarter. Um, it started like last year, my new year's like resolution. (laughs) Like one of them was, I am so tired of having list anxiety. Like, I do not want to live list by list and always like, oh, Lord, we're out of a list and we got to get a list. And like, I just, I don't want to live that way anymore. So I came up with a system of like pulling all my lists for the quarter one time, Mm. uploading them to Trello, keeping it super organized and labeled. So my virtual assistant knows like which lists to pull and pull like and push through which marketing campaigns. So I love Trello. That's absolutely amazing. Um, and it's free. I want, and it's free. And it's free. I use Trello as well. Um, I wanted to, I know there was another resource I wanted to ask you about some of the, and you can, you can pick one or two, or you can just give me a, a sentence about each of the, each of these, but how do you use call tools, lead mining and batch leads? Okay. So, so those are all different things I've used for different, like at different times. Um, so batch leads is like, I would say the number one, I'm using that all the time. Um, I use the batch lead stacker to organize my lists. You can use that stacker for like a It's a very powerful tool. Um, whenever I pull a list from say any other, anything, prop stream, list source, whatever it goes into, I upload that Excel spreadsheet. The list goes into batch lead stacker and it keeps track of every, like every person in that list is like a record now. So like Joe Smith, property owner of one, two, three main street, that'll be now like a record in my batch lead stacker. It's in, sh- it will have the tag of like, he came from a vacant list. So then later, say six months later, I get a contract on a house from Joe Smith. Right. Um, I will look back and I'll go, where did, what list did he come from? because I want to see what lists are still working and what lists are profitable. So then I look him up on my batch lead stacker and I'll see every list that he ever appeared on ever. So like if he was, if I also did like pulled an absentee owner list, he, it would say like vacants absentee owner. It'll like show every time I ever uploaded a list with that record in it. Wow. That would make sense. That's amazing. Super cool. So I love it for that. It also has a text platform now. So I do my mass texting through there. Um, it has, um, they have now a list their 2.0 now has where you can pull the lists from there. So, and they skip trace and it's a very good skip trace provider. Their data is like, 
It's everything. So if you guys like want, I my coup, I have a coupon code. It gets you 50% off. It's virtual. If you know, you're yeah. interested in it, um, 50% off the first month, if you use the code virtual. Um, but anyway, so that's like the big one I'm using like a lot. Um, lead mining was for, if you wanted to outsource cold calling, I'm not doing that right now currently, but if you feel like you want to outsource cold calling, it's something you want to do. Um, I have used them and I like the owner a lot. He's great. Um, the, uh, other one was call tools. Call tools is a, if you, for my in-house cold calling, when we would do like a follow-up cold round, it's an auto dialer. Um, it can call up to like 10 people at the same time, but I don't, that's too many. So we do like four, like three to four, I don't need to go crazy. Yeah. Um, so we use call tools for, for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we've just created like a mini episode off of that question. So like the tools and resources in our real estate businesses, I love yeah. that. And um, again, these are some tools I've never heard of before. And I'm sure like the tools I use, you've heard of them. And it's one of those things where so many different people are using so many different things and it's all kind of leading us to our goals, right? I love it. I love it. All right. All right. So enough of a tangent. We've gone off on a big tangent. Back to our, back to our hack. So yeah, what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, I mean, how old is your daughter now, and, what, and what's your guys' relationship like? Oh my gosh, I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Oh wow. Yeah. And you're yeah. able to spend as much time with them as possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, they didn't like they didn't have to go through what I had to go through. I had a working mom. I never saw my mom. You know, they. I'm very much in their life. Um, you know, I know their friends, parents, um, you know, they, they know I'm there like they're, and it helps with being a single mom. Uh, my ex-husband is still like, he works the corporate world. So we know that like, if kids are sick, like they stay with me, like I pick them up every day from school. That was a big goal of mine was just to be able to pick up my kids from school. Um, really fun doing the carpools with like the other kids. Like I love, like, you know, I'll do fun Friday and take them through Starbucks and sugar load them up and stuff. You know, it's just fun. You know, it's fun stuff. It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Uncertainty about how much money I'm making, you know, just not knowing what, you know, every year, like if, you know, I'm still going to have a business and am I still going to be able to make it? And I, you know, what, like not knowing that you're getting that paycheck, you know, a lot of W2s, you guys like knowing, like you're going to get that, you know, $5,000 paycheck every month. Right. Like I don't have that. And that definitely, I feel like maybe might've cut like 10 years out of my life expectancy. (laughs) Uh, But I, I'm with you on that. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking over the last eight years, you know, because it wasn't always just like I woke up and was successful. Like there yeah. were definitely years where I was like, oh, this is hard, yeah. you know? 100%. Yeah. Why do you think, and uh, or I'm sorry, before the last question, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I can only pick one person. You can only pick one person. That's hard. There's so many people. Um, okay. I mean, I'm going to like, be like cheesy, like my dad, like, oh, you know, cool. my dad is, um, he's the one that always, you know, kind of encouraged me to be an entrepreneur. Um, he knew a lot about real estate. He always said, you know, if he were to do it again, he would have invested in real estate more and done more real estate versus like he was a CPA and a college professor. Um, 
So he's the one that really like got, I would not be in real estate. I don't think if it was for my dad. Wow. Absolutely yeah. love it. Last yeah. but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? People give themselves too many options. Hmm. You got too many options. Let's like the example of that girl that needs to sleep eight hours. She gave herself that option to sleep eight hours. Like, you know, you had that option to spend three hours calling all the leads in your database and making offers for the next three hours. Or you have the option to go hang out with your friend. Binge got. (laughs) Binge Game of Thrones. (laughs) Oh, like Netflix and chill. Right. It's your choice. There, it's all about options. And um, for me, and I think that this is a type A thing, a lot of type A people, they don't give themselves options. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, like failure wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Going back to work is not an option for me. Like going, getting, if this doesn't work out, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get a job. <laughs> and that's not an option. Like, you know, and I, I just make sh- like, I, you know, so for me, like the to-do list, it's not an option to not do. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting because have you, have you heard of the concept of a financial thermostat? Is it like, I like, um, uh, the hedonist principle is that like, it's like, like so, so, so just take one of the billionaires. If you take Bill Gates, right. And you just right. think about who he is inherently, like, there's no way Bill Gates could ever be a millionaire. Like, there's no way he could possibly ever be a millionaire. Like, it, it just cannot happen. He's, he's not wired that way. Like, he would, it, it, it's not an option, right? His financial thermostat is set so high. He uh, adds so much value. Like, if he ever lost it all because of what he knows and how he operates, he would, like, I mean, you've seen people, the, the people, the greats, the people who are the, the best entrepreneurs, like they've, I mean, they've lost it all so many times, but they know how to build businesses. They know how to get right back there because that's where their financial thermostat is set. And yeah. we have to elevate our financial thermostats if we want to get to where we want to go, right? So when you talk about choices, you left yourself no other choice. You're like, you, you, like, you just said it, like, I will not go back and get a job. Mm-hmm. I will not do that. And if people could only like, and it's not something that is just like, oh, oh, like I've decided this is done. Like you have to, it's, it's a mental game. You got to practice at it, right? Like in your mental palace, to me, like, like you said, like you've already mentally told yourself that there's no possible way. Whereas somebody else in your position could be like, well, I could see how, how it could happen. Like they, they let that little seep of doubt creep in there and it grows and it festers, right? But you've already told yourself there's no possible way, right? So that's where your thermostat is set and there is truly no possible way. So I I love that. That's how we end this. Uh, Lauren, this has been amazing. If listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to get to know you a little bit, they want to say hi or learn about some of the things that you have going on, where can they find some of your information? Find me on the socials. So Instagram, I'm the most active there. Uh, My handle is thismomflips. And it's Lauren Hardy on Facebook. Um, but Instagram is definitely where I'm the most active. That's awesome. Lauren, this has been absolutely amazing. Until next time, we'll talk to you very, very soon. <laughs>